your eyes to the skies. It's time for Spaced Out on 95 PFM, thanks to the Stardome Observatory and Planetarium. Kia ora, Josh from the Stardome. Are you there, mate? Yes, kia ora. How's it going? Uh, I'm bloody good. And to Josh, hopefully you can hear this. It's great to know that this is finally happening. The Biodome, a pure self-contained environment where five scientists are about to be sealed off from every conceivable form of contamination except one. Uh, well, check out that mall, man. Our dream is finally at hand. What kind of mall is this? Get come out of here! The doors are sealed for one year. We're stuck here. That's right. 12 months? Yes. 52 weeks? Yes. 385 days? Now, the whole world is watching as Bud and Doyle are separated from their loved ones. The biodome, it's happening. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's a, it's a mid-90s movie about um, two... Idiots that get sealed inside, essentially, a space research thing on in the desert in the uh, states. Yeah, sort of like a wish, wish version of a NASA mission. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's happening. Uh, there's yeah. a Mars habitat here on Earth. How's it all working, Josh? Yeah, it um, obviously makes a good movie too, but um. Yeah, four um, four kind of Earth-bound astronauts have just started a year-long kind of Mars simulation mission here on the Earth. Um, so yeah, they've basically locked themselves away in this little habitat. Um, it's not in a desert or anything. It's actually at the, the NASA Center in Texas. Um, but yeah, they're going to be basically locked in there for just over a year, kind of simulating, um, you know, the effects of Mars, the things that they have to do, problems they might come up against. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be quite interesting to see kind of what happens at the end of it. Is that at Houston in Texas? Yeah, it's in the Houston facility. So it's, it's not in a natural desert or anything. Mm. Um, it is an indoor facility. But, you know, that's also kind of simulating you know, when we send people to Mars, eventually they will be indoors or some type of, uh, you know, spacecraft or facility. So they're going to be in really small spaces, which is also going to be a big challenge. Yes. I, I mean, I've probably mentioned this a few times on Spaced Out, but about five or six years ago I went to um, NASA in Houston and it was pretty awesome but it was also kind of like quite interesting obviously it's a very old uh NASA base it's interesting to see firstly how spread out it was but also how old it was yeah I mean a lot of that hardware and you know even the exhibits and stuff it's you know it is dating to the space age Mm. um we're talking you know 50s 60s 70s the kind of golden age of space exploration but um, yeah, and it's a little bit different now. I mean, we have different technologies and stuff, but yeah, they still have that kind of historical context and a lot of their um, space centers. Now, they're inside for a year at this like Mars moon base, which is being simulated at um, NASA. What does life inside a Mars moon base look like? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically going to get given schedules, so they'll have activities, things that they have to do. Um, you know, experiments and research throughout the day, like a regular kind of um, six-day working week, a lot, probably like similar to the astronauts on the space station. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, chucked in the mix, they're going to have to do things as if they were on Mars, if they need to go outside of the habitat, 
you know, they'll be suiting up. Um, NASA's going to be simulating, you know, their, their equipment failing, um, an oxygen tank rupturing, you know, some sort of problem is essentially um, going to happen periodically. So it's really to guess um, how these teams are going to respond. And they'll, they'll simulate it as if they are at Mars. So, you know, if something does go wrong, they can't just, you know, call Earth. There is that time delay. So they're going to have to be able to sort problems out by themselves, essentially, which is kind of the biggest thing. Is the, the uh, I guess, the base that they'll be living in simulated upon something that they propose building on Mars? Um, I don't think it is. I mean, there, there hasn't actually been any concrete plans for people to go to Mars yet. I mean, we've had these, um, you know, artist renditions or kind of mock-ups of, you know, what it would potentially look like. But no space agency has actually committed to say, we are going to put people on Mars to live there because it's a hugely ambitious goal. Um, but I think that they've kind of based it off our current technology. So these are going to be really small habitats. Um, they might be, you know, 3 printed. That's a pretty viable technology. Um, and it could be used, you know, in the future when we do potentially have those missions, um, actually look at how successful this one was in terms of the actual habitat and if we can actually mm. recreate that somehow. I mean, how do people fear in these sorts of situations where they're spending 12 months in an extremely confined space with very limited resources in, I guess, a very hostile environment. Do, do they, what do they do psychologically to make sure that these people are going to be a good nick? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing is we don't really know the long-term effects of, um, say, deep space travel. So sending people to another planet is, you know, incredibly far away. They are very, very isolated. They have to be able to do things by themselves. So we don't actually know the psychological mm. effects um, as to, you know, what would happen for these missions. But, you can imagine that, you know, the first crew that we potentially send to Mars, um, you know, the psychological test we'll have to do would be so stringent. They would have to make sure that these, you know, three, four um, people could work together for, you know, two to three years mm. in these really isolated environments. Because I think the biggest thing, you know, the hardest problem is also that psychological aspect of, um, you know, socialising and getting along with your crewmates and, mm. you know, not arguing not screwing something up on the mission because, you know, someone pissed you off. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the thing that we just don't know, which is why we are, you know, simulating these year-long missions. Yes. Also, I mean, this is, this. I actually, I don't know too much about this, but what do they do if they get sick? Or is it possible to get a cold or do you, like, get decontaminated before you go on a mission like this? Well, they, they basically, they isolate, it's actually the same with astronauts, so they have to isolate before they go um, to make sure that no one has any sickness. So they've been in quarantine for a couple of weeks, um, then they go into their facility, so they're actually all healthy when they go in there, so mm. um, there's no possibility then to, you know, get a cold or, you know, some type of flu. They are completely cut off um, from any other people, and they're not going to be seeing people for about a year, because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, obviously you're not, you don't want to take <laughs> illness to space and then be sick for, you know, however long, um, so yeah, it's usually the pre-quarantine and what sort of activities are they going to be doing in the simulated mars are they going to be trying to do science or operate yeah, rovers I mean, operate like I, that little I'm mars not helicopter sure yeah the mars helicopter i'm not sure of the exact science um, and i'm sure nasa has given them actual things to do um it's probably more just general science to keep them occupied they're obviously not going to be uh you know using real mars rocks for example but um, a lot of it could be simulated stuff so um, you know, they could give them certain rocks. So they say, you know, we think these rocks contain life on Mars. 
um, what are some systems that we can use to test them. Uh, they might also test technologies like, you know, generating oxygen on Mars, so, you know, small laboratory things where they can produce you know, little amounts of oxygen, which we actually done on Mars before. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of little things, but I think I think the biggest thing is that psychological aspect of it. Will they have Will they have tasks such as growing vegetables and indoors inside their Mars yeah. hut? Yeah. So that's the other big thing is the sustainability element. Because when you go to Mars, you have to you have to be self sustainable. You need to be able to grow crops, food, all that stuff. Um, so the biggest thing for them is going to be hydroponics. So actually growing things um, mm. without soil. So using you know water flow essentially. Um, and recycling water, so it's, it's all the things that you would deal with, you know, on the day to day on Earth, but it's just taken to the extreme on Mars. Well, okay, one more question: Will there be an outside environment simulating the conditions of Mars where they attempt to go outside and do stuff? Yeah, I, they have like a little outdoor area. Um, I mean, NASA's not going to be like sucking out the air of the room or anything. Um, they, they basically, if they do go outside, they have to go through the process of, you know, putting on a spacesuit, um, you know, gearing up and then kind of simulating, uh, you know, depressurizing and all that stuff. So it's not going to be an actual vacuum environment like it, you know, very much is on Mars. Um, mm. But they'll have to do all the processes as if they were actually there. Okay. All right. Interesting. Crazy. Well, I, yeah. I guess it's good to get these things underway if we're um, headed to Mars in the, in the, uh, in the future. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, Space Junk is the next story. Yeah, we um, had some hopefully good news out of the European Space Agency. Um, they basically committed and said that they, they'd really need to start regulating um, Space Junk, and they're now working with um, their satellite providers in Europe and essentially kind of regulating and putting into law eventually um, that satellite providers have to be able to deorbit all of their satellites and not leave Space Junk. Okay. Um, which is, a, yeah, is a good first step, I think, for for the entire space industry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess, pretty, it's crazy. If, you know, we're shooting so much stuff up there, and a lot of it is just, what, there forever? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is there for, you know, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of years, depending on the orbit. Mm. Um, and the fact that we've just treated it as, like, essentially, you know, a dumping ground for decades mm. is, you know, a real shame. And I think it's, you know, we look at space as being infinite, and it really is, but, you know, the space directly above us is not infinite. It is a finite resource, you mm. know, and we, we have to look up as if anything else on Earth. Are there, I guess there's obviously thousands of small bits of space junk up there, but what problems do, like, these bits of junk that are just kind of up there and, you know, these dark bits of sky, say we're going to launch stuff from Earth, they could be a serious problem, correct, Mondo? Yeah, and there's obviously the whole aspect of not just, stuff being in space and potentially satellites hitting each other. But it's that idea of having too many satellites where, you know, you could start ruining, ruining photos from, you know, really dark areas on Earth. And, you know, a lot of astronomy is done from Earth, of course. Yes. Um, and those satellites, you know, things like the Starlink constellation, um, you know, have already caused problems. So mm. it's not just about removing satellites that are not working. It's actually about, you know, looking into the ones that are working and yeah. how are we regulating those because we just don't have laws around that. And it's yes. kind of hard to get multiple countries to all agree to the same thing we saw at our house we were out in the front deck on like friday night or something and saw the starlink go past and it was just kind of quite Mm. weird yeah very alien looking um if you you don't know what it is it's very very strange Mm. and but i mean some of that stuff is basically just up there and then obviously it's a big long chain of satellites but some of them aren't working are they just floating 
dead in the chain? Um, yeah, I mean, some some of the, I know that some of the Starlink ones, they actually do have technology to deorbit, and mm. a lot of them do, which is a good thing. Um, but I don't think their issue is deorbiting. I think their issue is the amount that they're putting into, you know, the sky. They have, you know, thousands of satellites already up there that are, that are all working, mm-hmm. um, and they have plans for, like, tens of thousands. So um, not only are there going to be all those satellites, you have to think that every satellite is launched with a rocket, and that rocket often leaves, like, a second stage. That it's an entirely different, you know, big chunk of um, space junk that's put up there. So, um, yeah, the, the quicker we get regulations about this, the yes. better. Because at the moment, it's just a bit of a free man's land, you know. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Now, Josh, what the heck is happening at the Stardom? Um, oh, we've been hit the ground running since we opened. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we're fully booked out with our schools. We've got school holidays next week, uh, which will be pretty cool. Um, we have our sci-fi movies coming out very soon, I believe. We've got a really good list of those. Um, and, yeah, we're kind of right in the middle of our Matsuriki season, which has been going really well. Um, we've got our new show, which is um, Matsuriki, our festival with Toho, so the start of the new year. Um, and, yeah, we've had some really awesome feedback about it. It's, it's a really fantastic show, um, and it's, it's selling very quickly too. So if anyone wants to see that, definitely get into that early. Now, Josh, obviously back in uh, a new fresh stardom how does it feel to be you know in a, a refitted building oh it's, it's yeah I, it's really nice um and it's, uh, yeah i'm really proud to be back there too because i did work on a lot of the stuff in the gallery so a lot of the new displays and exhibits um so yeah to see a lot of my work up there is really nice we've had an amazing team of you know builders and designers that got it done and even our lighting people did an amazing job it's it's really sleek and um quite moody and it's really beautiful um, yeah, if, if anyone hasn't been to Stardom, I definitely think, yeah, come and visit. It's a really cool space. Um, and also just to see, you know, all the bilingual stuff in there too, to yeah. Māori and English is, is really cool to see. Fantastic. Uh, well, the Stardom, feeling nice and fresh with a, a, a new lick of paint. Uh, check them out, stardom.org.nz. And, yeah, I mean, if you're keen to head out in the, area in the next wee while, obviously it pays to book uh, and plan because by the sounds of yeah. things, it's pretty busy. Yes, very busy. Definitely book ahead if you can. All right, Josh. Hey, thanks so much for chatting with us. We'll speak to you in a fortnight's time. All right. Speak to you there. Hey. Control, we are docked. That was spaced out on 95 BFM. Thanks to the Stardome Observatory and Planetarium.